never forget why you are the church. I don't know about you, but a lot of the times that's the only thing we can hold on to is that hope that won't fade. I pray today you are ready if it happens right now. If that trumpet is sound right now, if the church is taken up right now, please do not be left here. Amen. Wouldn't it be awesome if someone just got saved today? <laughs> Woo, I might change my message, but no, I'm going to keep the script, okay? But we're going to continue our study of picking up the pieces when life begins to fall apart. Now, we come to, the, to church and act like everything is okay, but sometimes, and if you, can, if you can relate to this, just give an amen, but sometimes that is simply just not the truth, amen? Sometimes everything is just not okay. See, I want to tell you something. Isolated pain is the worst kind of pain. Now, growing up, I would... Uh, hurt my leg. Have, have you ever, has anyone ever hurt themselves before? Uh, do we have the PowerPoint today? Okay. Because I have a slide that says isolated pain. <laughs> there we go. Just to kind of, you know, nail it home. <laughs> but no, isolated pain is the worst kind of pain. And, and I'll prove it to you because has anyone ever maybe been playing outside or whatever and uh, when you were a kid and, and you hurt your arm or you hurt your leg and you come in and, and it's like your arm's hurting, but somehow you're limping. You know what I'm saying? You say, Mama, Daddy, I hurt my, I hurt my arm. And it's, 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 it's really hurting. It's, it's broken. I think we need to go to the emergency room and, and all this stuff. And, 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 and the wisdom of your parents kick in, right, in full gear. And they say, well, let me hit your other arm and we'll balance it out. Has anyone ever had that advice given to them? Listen, I tell you what, that is the advice that I got from my dad a whole lot. Well, you know, hey, well, dad, my eye hurts. Well, let me punch in the other eye and it'll, it'll even things out. You won't feel that eye no more. Why? Because isolated pain hurts. If only one thing's hurting, that's all you're focusing on. See, and again, church, that's how we should care for each other, though. Balancing out the pain. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says this, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. As a church family, we share in the good times. We share in the bad times. We share the times of greatest joy and we share the times of deepest pains, or at least that's how it should work. I was getting on to my dad because my dad does not carry a phone around very often, and then it fires me up, you know what I'm saying? Like, he has a nice phone, and, and when I call, you know, when I call somebody, I, just to be honest with you, I expect them to answer. I don't know if, I don't know if you call not expecting, but, but I, you know, and, and so a lot of times I will call him, and I will need something, and, and he will not be able to answer, and, and, and I'm telling I said, Dad, what if something happened, and, 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 or to me, and, and I said, you know, first, my first phone call is going to be going to my wife, of course, if she's not with me, but my second phone call is to you and, you and mom, right? I mean, that's just kind of how it works, you know what I'm saying? And he said, well, I don't want your problems. <laughs> that's, what, that's what he said. My daddy loves me. I know. I, I, I believe it. You know what I'm saying? But no, seriously, but that, that's how we are in the church so often. 
we'll put the communication on silent. I don't want, I don't want your problems. Or we'll be hurting and we won't reach out. We'll just sit there in isolated pain and think that it'll go away one day. Let me just tell you something. Some pain, unless it's treated correctly, does not go away. And as a church family, we should be the ones that help each other through that. Why? Because we're the ones that see things the same way. But even though we are here and we are to help and care for each other, we cannot always be around every moment. Amen? Uh, you would not like that. I would not like that, right? Could you imagine me being around you every moment? Billy, would you, could you imagine me being around you every moment? How terrible would that be? That is true. When, we, when, when COVID was around, we did spend a lot of time, and I'm pretty sure that you gave COVID to people. Yeah, I can. You, he told me not to say that until like three or four years later, and I'm going to say, no, I'm just kidding. But seriously, COVID, COVID was happening. We'd be in the same car, and literally, it was the funniest thing because I'd be like, <clears throat> and he'd be like, and then he'd be like, <clears throat> I'd be like, but either way, listen, we are to spend time, but we can't spend all the time together, right? There is a personal responsibility in the midst of a storm or trial. Sadly, more often than not, our response to these difficult times leads us to an extension of those difficult times. Has anyone tried to fix something their own way and made things worse? Yeah, I do it all the time. That's why I don't try to fix nothing. If I fix something that's going to break worse, I'm going to have to make a phone call. It's going to be even more embarrassing than the initial phone call because he's going to say, what were you doing? I'm going to say, I was trying to fix it, and I made it worse. We do that in our lives as well. God's word has the answer. We just have to find it, but finding it is just the first step. We also have to receive it and apply it. So far, we have looked at picking up the pieces personally. We have looked at picking up the pieces in our marriage, in our family, and last week in our friendships. This week, we will look at another important area of our lives, picking up the pieces in our finances. What happens when the budget gets tight? When the paycheck does not go as far as you think it should? How do we become faithful stewards of the money God has given us? Some here today are blessed with financial stability. Hey, listen, that's a blessing, right? That's not a bad thing. Financial stability is a good thing. But some go to bed every night praying things will somehow just financially work out tomorrow because they don't know what to do. Some stand in the middle of those two situations. But wherever you are financially, there are adjustments that you can make that will get you back on track faithfully handling what God has blessed you with. And these adjustments may be major for some. They may be minor for others. But really, as believers, any adjustment towards Christ and towards his way is an adjustment well worth making. But we must align our finances with God's word. And before I even say a thing, I might be getting ahead of myself here. But I know a lot of us, and if you're watching online, I know a lot of people, the moment they hear finances in the church, all of a sudden they become very uh, not Christ-like in their thinking. When they hear finances preached from the pulpit, they say, preacher, that's not your business. Can I tell you something? Your money is not my business, but as your shepherd, your faithfulness is. That, that, I'm not putting myself on a pedestal. I'm just letting you know that I go to bed at night thinking about the faithfulness of this church, thinking about if, if we are being faithful and obedient to the God we serve, and knowing that I will have to bring an account to the Lord for the shepherding that I did. So before you turn this off, before you 
Uh, get out of Facebook Live or before you think, man, I'll just get through this and we'll get going because he has nothing. God's word has nothing that, that can change my mind on my money. J- just How about you just allow God to do his work? Amen. But picking up the pieces in our finances. So we're going to look at three adjustments that we can make that will help us in this. First thing that we must adjust, if we're going to pick up the pieces in our finances, the first thing that we must adjust, number one, adjust your heart. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says this, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they, they, have, uh, after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. If you want a title this morning, it is this, small adjustments make big change. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you for your word. And God, I just ask you, Lord, that you allow me to preach this with liberty and clarity, God. Lord, I pray that I don't have any, I'm not timid with this topic. God, I pray that I'm bold and courageous because I'm standing upon your authority of your word. So God, I pray those that have ears to hear, may they hear today. God, I pray if there's somebody here who, who their heart is in the wrong place, who something has stolen, something of this world has stolen their heart, God, I pray that you bring it back. God, I pray that they can take it back and give it back to you. If there's somebody here who has lost, Lord, I pray today they are saved. And this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I want you to know something. Money in of itself is not evil. You will never hear me say that money is evil. M- money is something necessary, but the love of money is. The culture that we live in puts money at the center of everything. Need to be happy? Make more money. Need to feel better about life? Make more money. Want to have all the things you desire? More money, more money, more money. Now, again, understand, more money is not the issue because money is not the issue, but it's where your heart lies within this. The love and pursuit of more and more money is a dangerous path to take in life. Well, preacher, I don't love money, but I need money. Well, the fact that we have to have money to function in this world is correct. There's bills to pay, right? There's things to do. Mortgage, rent, groceries, gas, clothing, and all the other necessary needs of living. But that is not, I need us to be mature enough to discern this morning, that is not what we're talking about. We are talking about the heart. See, we love with our heart. Now, how, how, do, how do we know that we love with our heart? Well, Mark 12, and you can jot it down, but Mark 12, verse 30 through 31 says this, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy, everyone say heart, heart, and with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There's none other commandment greater than these. We love with our heart. That word heart literally can refer to the organ that sits in our chest. Absolutely, right? Obviously, that's our heart. But more specifically, especially in this text, in Scripture, it speaks of the center of all physical and spiritual life. It is through the heart. It is the heart that is the fountain or the seat by which our thoughts, our passions, our desires, appetites, affections are all found. Why? Because we love with our heart. We we see this explained 
by Jesus in Matthew 15, 11. This is what it says in Matthew 15, 11. Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Well, why does he say that? Well, let's look at it uh, a few verses later in Matthew 15, 16 through 18. And Jesus said, are ye also yet without understanding? Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in the mouth goeth into the belly and it is cast out into the draught. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart and they defile the man. You say, you know, well, I, I just struggle with, with talking like this. I struggle with thinking, I, I struggle with saying this thing or, or talking bad or talking dirty. I struggle with, uh, with curse, all these things. Listen, be very careful because that's coming from the heart. Have you ever found somebody that all they want to talk about is, is making more money or doing this or their next investment? And, and that is literally what, what consumes their life. Why? Because what is coming out of the mouth is what is in the heart, the love of money, the love of success, the love of prosperity, the love of, of being better than the next guy. If you need more evidence, Matthew 6, 21 says this, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, this goes even further. I know we're talking about finances today, but this goes much further than finances. I want you to understand that. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you got a problem coming to church and you'd rather stay home and be lazy and watch that game and do this or go and do that or, or go and do this and do whatever you can do to not be in church, let me tell you something. Wherever you're at, that's where your treasure is. I'm just going to be honest with you. If you refuse to, if you say, man, I would rather sit in the pew and do nothing and be fed and be fed and be fed. I'm not going to, I'm not going to work in the nursery. I'm not going to teach the children the Bible stories. I'm not going to help with the students. I'm not going to help with this, help with that. Listen, I just want to come here and be fed. You know what your treasure is? Yourself. I want you to know that Christianity looks, looked very different when it was founded in Acts chapter 2 than it does right now. People didn't just come to church. They were the church. And you do realize today it has not changed. We might have changed, but God's expectations for those that are born again has not changed. You say, well, Jake, that's easy for you to say. You're a preacher. Yes, I am. And that is the most insane thing anyone could be. So give me a little bit of love. You know what I'm saying? But listen, I'm serious. We got to understand that, hey, we love with our hearts. So therefore, what we show love for, what we talk about, all these things, we are showing where our treasure actually lies. We love with our hearts. Our passion comes from the heart. When you fall in love with someone, what do you say? They stole my heart. Look at your spouse right now. Say, you done stole my heart. Say it, say it, say it, say it, say it again, say it again. As a matter of fact, both of you say it together. You done stole my heart, sweetie pie, I love my life. And then tell them, you look good today. Tell them. No, you're not going to, okay. I guess the love only goes so far, you know what I'm saying? I didn't hear nothing from Heather, and she's just right there, you know. <laughs> but no, seriously, we, know, we, we understand the concept but for some reason, when we put Bible to it, we start forgetting the concept. 
When we fall in love with somebody, we, we know that it's from the heart. When we, when we get passionate about somebody, hey, I put my heart into that project. I put my heart into that job. I put my heart into that hobby, whatever it is. Why? Because that's where your treasure is. Church, hear me. Many of us have allowed the riches of this world, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the love of money to steal our hearts. And what is the result? Well, look again. At verse 10 in 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says this, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Again, if there's one sermon that will fire someone up in all the wrong ways, it is a sermon on money. Why? Because the heart is set on it. But I want you to know this. You know who are the most miserable people in the world? Those people who live for money. See, what we do is we look at all these celebrities. We look at all these singers and all these athletes, and we sit there and we see all the glamour. We see all the, all the, the yachts and all the nice homes and all the things. But if that's all you have in life, hear me. I don't care how much they have. They have nothing. And we can sit there and look at them on Sunday. We can sit there and look at them on the stage. We can sit there and look at their social media. But if, if, if you really look down and if you actually knew the person, you would find they're much more miserable. They're pierced with many sorrows than we actually thought. There's a famous actor who said, and I was going to quote him, but I didn't write it down. I forgot. But this is what he said. He said, I wish everybody could come rich and become rich and famous, every single person, so they know that's not what it's about. Some of us are like, well, man, give me the chance. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I understand that. But, guys, we got to be careful. What does your relationship look like with money? It is, a it is, a, is it a love affair? Are you, are you having an affair with money and not putting your affection to the Lord? If so, before we can go any further, we have to adjust our hearts. We have to set your affection on Christ, not manna. And in doing so, we come to the next adjustment. So we, we're to adjust our hearts, and that will allow us to, number two, adjust your hunger. We're going to read more out of 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you're there, say read. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. See, this world knows nothing of contentment. As a matter of fact, we are told contentment is the enemy of progress. See, our young people, our students, our young adults, they listen to these people that say, as long as you get two hours of sleep and you grind, 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 and you make a million dollars before you're 25 years old, then you'll be somebody. But you got to do this. You, you Don't be content. Keep on pushing. Keep on pushing. Never be content. Never be satisfied. Let me explain something to you. I'm not a preacher that says, hey, listen, I, I wish all y'all were rich. You know what I'm saying? Then we could build something and we could do something. But either way, here's all I'm going to say. I'm not saying that being rich is a bad thing, but I'm saying this, that if your affection is on it, if that's all you are worried about, if that's everything your life is and you have never been content, understand God calls that not good. Why? Because godliness with contentment is great 
gain. What is contentment then? Well, let's look at verse 7 and 8. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. The word contentment here means sufficiency of the necessities of life. A mind contented with its lot. Contentment can further be described with a verse of my favorite hymn, when peace like a sorrow or when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. This is what God calls great gain. So what about our hunger? Well, let me ask you this. Since everyone's falling asleep on me, let me ask you, have you ever been hungry? Mm-mm, mm-mm. I'm talking about have you ever been hungry? Has anyone ever been hangry? Is anyone hangry right now? I hear that. Okay. That was a personal decision that you shouldn't. It's not even lunchtime yet. Well, it's almost lunchtime. I don't know about you, but when I get hungry, I make uh, what, would I, what I would call rash decisions. Everything goes out the door. You know what I'm saying? As a matter of fact, has anyone ever gone grocery shopping hungry? Listen, I would rather be at Publix or Kroger hungry than anywhere else in the world. Just give me $20, and I get a few sauces, a few of this, a few of that. Uh, we were talking about it last night. Man, there's sometimes I go into that store. I can't even read the label. I'm like, it's got to be good. We're going to go eat it. But seriously, we've been hungry. But I know that when I get too hungry, I make rash decisions. It doesn't matter if I'm on a diet. It doesn't matter if I'm on a meal plan. It doesn't matter if there's food at home. My hunger turns into a craving. And all of a sudden, I find myself eating pizza for the third time this week. But understand this, this is usually because, now hear me now, don't miss this. I know this is, we can all relate, but don't miss it. It's usually because I do not eat properly throughout the day. So I'll skip some things that are necessary for my day to go well. I'll skip breakfast because, uh uh-oh, I slept in or I did this, I got to be somewhere. So I'll skip it. And then, I don't know if you ever experienced this, but your life kind of gets ahead of you, so you don't take care of yourself, so you miss lunch. And then all of a sudden, it's 4 or 5 o'clock, and you are what we called hangry, and I don't care what it is. I don't care if I have been craving this all day. I'm going to get it no matter what. Listen, if I don't call Domino's within a week week and a half, they call me for a wellness check. I just want you to know that. Why? Because I do this all the time. I'm telling that black box special, that's something special. You know what I'm saying? But think about that. You say, well, what are you talking about? Well, hear me. If we do not adjust our heart, our hunger will take over. See, that, that heart issue, that love, and that passion, that affection that we put towards the things not of God and we put towards the wrong places, all of a sudden we'll start hungering. And because we're not taking care of the things that we got to take care of in our life, because we're not focusing on the important things in our life, that hunger will become a craving. And before you know it, you're making a rash decision and you're going into a path of sin and idolatry. It is only by a healthy diet of God's word, prayer, corporate worship, fellowship, and service to the Lord that we will be able to adjust our hunger. Speaking of being hungry, I just got to say this because I just got to say it. Has anyone ever heard of the Daniel fast? Has anyone ever heard of the Daniel fast? Let me tell you what the Daniel fast is. Some peanuts, some almonds, cashews, and water. Does that sound good to you? Well, I had a brother. I'm not going to name him. His nickname's Big Kenny. But anyway, 
I didn't say your actual name. And this dude came to me one time. He said, Jacob, he said, God has put something on my heart. So as his pastor, I'm like, tell me, tell me what he put on your heart. This is exciting. And I'm thinking like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, build a building for the church or something. You know, I didn't know what was going on. You know what I'm saying? I didn't know if it was good or bad. He said this. He said, I think we need to go on a Daniel fast. And I'm looking at him like, we? I was like, what's a Daniel fast? I'll study Daniel all day, but I'm not going to eat like him. You know what I'm saying? And he said, yeah, I, th- I think God's put on my heart. We're going to go on a Daniel fast. And, man, I'm like, you know what? You know how you get, like, hyped up on Jesus juice because someone else is hyped up on Jesus juice? I'm like, I'm going to do it, too. And I was like, what is the Daniel fast? And so he told me. I was like, ooh, <laughs> Let's do it, right? We love Jesus. So I was expecting to be stronger and more fit and more better looking at the end of this because that's what Daniel had. That's what happened to Daniel. But here's what happened. I think, what was it, like a week and a half in? Week and a half? Yeah, so I walk into church. I mean, I was like 102 pounds. Y'all ain't even seen that. It happened so fast, I didn't know what hit me. I'm like, I'm like, Kenny, man, I don't think we prayed about this enough. I said, this ain't doing good. I said, I'm about to pass out. I, I can't eat one more cashew. I can't do it. And new Kenny, all of a sudden, he in the, in the office doing this. So he's like, oh, man, I feel good, man. I'm like, I'm like why, why, are you, why are you not 102 pounds away? Man, why, what's wrong with you? Why are you so happy? He said, well, I didn't feel good yesterday, Jacob. And, I said, and I'm sitting, I stop, and I get, what does that mean, Kenny? <laughs> he said, Jacob, I went to Hardy's. <laughs> And I said, what did it, was it a mission trip? Did you, why, why did you go to Hardy's, Kenny? He said, I got me a sausage biscuit. You know what I did? I took my phone out, and I called my best friend. Domino's and got me a black box special. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but seriously, think about it. Hunger makes us do crazy things. Physical hunger makes us do crazy things. Fleshly hunger makes us do crazy things. As a matter of fact, talking about bad decisions, let's just look at verse 9 for a second right here. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. You know, what some of the, you know what some of the biggest examples or biggest reasons I get that, Jacob, I cannot live generous. I cannot live giving. I cannot tithe. I cannot do this. I cannot do that. Why? Because they have made decisions to put themselves in situations that has limited them. That, that, that heart issue became a hunger, which became a craving, and now they've been caught in the snare. As a matter of fact, let's talk about debt for a second. How many people are in debt because they got hungry for things they could not afford? I'm, I'm just being real with you. I, I looked up so many numbers, and somebody could probably look up a better. I mean, there's so many different things. But, but one of them that I looked up, it said the average credit card debt is $6,000. And most of the people are making the minimum payment. Now you say, well, are you, are you shaming those in debt? Absolutely not. But what I'm saying is you better start making these adjustments in your finances. Because if you don't, all, you, all that's going to happen is you will continue to drown in destruction and perdition. Proverbs 22.7 says this, The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. 
Now hear me, I know not everyone can buy a house in cash. I know not everyone can buy a car in cash. But there are certain things that we simply do not need, but we hunger for and we get anyway irresponsibly. And then before we know it, we cannot serve Christ like we want to. But if we're going to hunger, let us hunger for the things of God. Amen. So when it comes to money, we must adjust our heart and our hunger. But number three, we must adjust your help. Look at 1 Timothy uh, 6, verse 11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Now, how does this translate for our money? Well, what is your money for? I'm not talking about the world's opinion of this. We are not of the world. You know why that song, Come, Jesus, Come, is so special? It's because we understand that we are not citizens of earth, but we're citizens of heaven. And and there's something deep inside us that longs to go home. So understand, we are not of this world. So we should not think like this world. Because the way you act is the way you think, by the way. So the more you think about it, the more you'll do it. But we are the church. Now, how does the church help? With their money. What does the generosity look like with their money? Well, we actually know the answer to that. In Acts chapter 2, it says this, and this is when the church was founded. This is when the gospel of Jesus Christ was preached by the apostle Peter. The people were pricked in their hearts, and they said, what must we do? They they received the word with gladness. They were baptized, and 3,000 souls were added into the church that day. By the way, you do understand that is how the gospel should impact every time. So anyway, what did they start doing? Well, and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Well, why would they do that? That's crazy, preacher. We couldn't do that. And I understand that we, that, that, that is, that is, We are so far from that (laughs) that it'd be very difficult to get back to that. That's just a simple, I mean, I'm I'm trying to be practical here. But you know why they could do that? Because they were content with what they had. What did they have? They just had salvation. They said, hey, God saved me. I don't need anything else. As a matter of fact, if someone has need, you know what? We're going to make sure they don't have that need anymore. Because God has so blessed me that I can help with this. I can do this. I can, I can put forth there. And you say, well, why wouldn't they build up their own kingdoms? Because they knew they were not part of their own kingdom anymore, but they were part of the kingdom of God. Well, I'll give when I have more money or when I'm better off. I'll live and I'll help with my money. I'll live generously with my money. Well, understand this. First off, that's easy to say. I want you to know that, and I'm just, I'm just being practical with you. If you want to know exactly what it is, you can come to the next business meeting. But I, I'm making more money now than I ever have in my life. I just, I am. I'm blessed. Y'all bless me. But can I tell you something? It seems like I have less money than I ever had in my life. Can anyone relate to that? Listen, hey, people say, well, if you make more money, all the problems will go away. Well, not necessarily. Because what do we do so often? The more money we make, the higher we start living. The higher we start living, the expectations go up. And all of a sudden, where we thought that if I could just make this number, all of a sudden I'll be content with that. Then when you're actually there, you're thinking, okay, now i got to make this number to be content. Now i got to make that number. Now i got to have this in the bank account. And you never experience true contentment. Is anyone with me or y'all freaked out right now? Okay. (laughs) 
And also, if you say, well, I'll give when I have more money, when I'm better off, what is the faith in that? Jesus actually says otherwise. Look at Luke 16, 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. So before you look at me and say, well, Jacob, I just can't. I don't have enough. Listen, when Jesus was teaching and all these Pharisees and all these religious elites were putting all their money in these trumpets, they, they put them in trumpets back then. And man, they were, they were making sure everyone saw. I, and I've, I've even seen people like that. You pass the plate and they kind of, makes me sick. But that's what was happening. And Jesus was watching. And then all of a sudden, this widow came in. She didn't have much. She, as a matter of fact, she would be what we call extremely poor. She had a mite. I've got one in my office. This is the most beautiful thing. She went in and she put that little mite in that trumpet. You say, what's the point of that? That's not enough to do anything. Let me just tell you something. Don't limit God's ability to take little and make much. But Jesus said himself, he said, hey, that widow just there gave more than anyone else was giving at that time. Why? Because she gave out of the heart. She gave all that she had. Please understand, I'm not just talking about tithing. I know every time I talk about money, you, you, you think that I'm talking about tithing. No, I'm not not talking about tithing. I, I just want you to know, just between you and me and everyone else listening, when, when I look at the record of our giving, you know what it tells me? We have a love of money. I'm just going to be honest with you. You know why we're so limited? You know why we can't have the impact that we want to have? Because we have people here that love money more than ministry. And by the way, if you're getting hot in the neck, that must be you. Tithing is a biblical principle that we ought to participate out of a grateful heart. You will never, ever, ever hear me say anything different. But that's not what this is all about. By the way, when you say, well, well, what is the grateful heart? Well, for what Christ has done and out of the desire to be a part of what he is doing. That's why we give. But generosity is more than that. Generosity is being as close to Acts chapter 2 as we can. You see a need, God's blessed you. Meet that need. Believe it or not, your tithe is baseline. That is baseline faithfulness and giving. Generosity is much more. But it's in the generosity that you'll get the generous blessings. Now, I'm not a prosperity. I'm not going to say, hey, plant a $1,000 seed and you'll get a $2,000 envelope of money. And you're, that, that's not going to happen. I just want you to know if that was happening, every, every investor in the world would be at church today. He said, well, here's 5,000. Let me get my 10. That's not how it works. But I will tell you this. Every giver that I know that's generous has never regretted ever giving anything. But generosity goes further than faithful time. Generosity is defined as this. Look at, look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of a necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. 
If you want to pick up the pieces in your finances, you become a cheerful giver. Stay stingy and keep on dropping pieces. Get generous and see God work in your life. You may not have as nice of a car as you want. You may not have as nice of a big old house as you want. You may not have as nice of clothes as you want. But you'll have blessings that we can't even describe outside of God is good. So what's your relationship with your finances? Who is your money for? What is your money for? These are practical questions that as believers we have to answer. Are there any adjustments that we need to make? With heads bowed and eyes closed all over this place.